0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. I don't know why that music makes me feel way cooler than what I actually am. Uh <laughs> Uh, I feel like I need to do something, I, I, but I don't have anything for you. All I have is to say welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, my name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, thank you for being here today. You could have been anywhere, and you chose to be here. Um, and so, uh, if this is your first time, I would love to meet you if we haven't yet. Uh, maybe say hi after the service. I do want to take a moment. I want to welcome a couple, welcome a few people who aren't in the room today with us, but they're joining online. And so, uh, everybody who's joining at Lighthouse Online, I know we've got people all over the place from there, but I We do have two groups that are joining us. Um, uh, Bluffton Community is joining us uh, in the teaching today, and then Fostoria as well. And so I wonder, uh, Lighthouse here in the house, could you just make some noise welcoming both those locations? Let them know you're glad they're a part of the church family. Yeah, man. We love you guys. So uh, it's going to be a good day. Hey, uh, two quick updates about our new location on County Road 99, our ministry center there. One thing is I'm going to ask you to pray about something. We recently submitted an application for a grant that actually helps to build uh, the worship space for a church. And so if we are chosen for that grant, that will be uh, a significant uh, thing for our church family to be able to potentially reduce the debt that we will require us to build. And so I'm asking if you would pray for that grant it's it's the Lasco grant, Um, and so uh, maybe you'd be praying over the month of October, because we should hear by the end of the month whether they've selected us or not. Just being transparent with you, uh, it's probably a very small percentage that uh, we would get chosen, but our team thought, hey, this is something that maybe the Lord has for us, uh, and maybe we can pray together in that. The other thing that I wanted to share with you about our new property on County Road 99 is we now officially have an address, right? And so our address is 10701 County Road 99. You can find us. I feel like Steve Martin from The Jerk. I'm somebody, uh, because I'm in the phone book. You can find me on the address. Everybody under 40 goes, Steve Martin, (laughs) The Jerk. What are you talking about? Um, So yeah, don't mail us anything there though, because we don't have a mailbox. It's going to come right back to you. Uh, But we're excited about that. And someone pointed out that our address is a, a A palindrome? Is that how you say that? Palindrome? It's the same forward as it is backwards. So if you can't remember it forward, just remember backwards, and it'll be the same. So, all right. So we're really excited about that. Okay, quick show of hands. How many of you in the last month have ordered something from Amazon in the last month? Raise your hand. That's a lot. Okay, (laughs) keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, 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 up. up. Don't, don't you get shameful now, right? (laughs) Okay, how many of you ordered in the last two weeks? Put your hand down if it's been more than two weeks. How many of you ordered in the last week? Okay. How many of you order right now? Right. <laughs> it's an addiction. All right. Give it up. Um, but maybe you've had this happen to you where you ordered one thing, and when it showed up, you got something different. Has that happened to you? You ordered something from Amazon, and something completely different showed up. And by the way, that's more common than what you would expect. And so I was looking, and I found some different place or, uh, different people who ordered something. Uh, they thought they were going to get one thing, and they got something different. So here's a chair that a guy ordered, and then when it showed up, that's what he got. Uh, it's a little bit smaller than what he was expecting. Uh, somebody ordered one of those gigantic teddy bears, and then when it showed up, they did not feed him, right on the trip over. He is very, very skinny. Uh, then someone ordered, uh, oh, they wanted this pillow of the dinosaur, and so when their order showed up, it was a an image of that kid sleeping on the pillow on the pillowcase, right? Like that's not creepy. Um, my my favorite one though might be the guy who ordered a pair of pants and some sunglasses, and this is what showed up. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, be careful what you order from Amazon, okay? So, I share that because a very similar thing happened when Jesus showed up. Because Israel, the nation of Israel, was expecting one kind of a Messiah, but what they thought they had ordered is not what showed up. And so, there was confusion and there was frustration. And there was tension about the whole situation because what we thought we were going to get and what showed up are two different things. And and I think that's important because in the same way, for some of us in this room this morning or maybe joining at one of our other locations, you have come to Jesus looking for one thing when he is offering something completely different, do you understand what I'm saying? Like you, You're coming to Jesus because you want more comfort. You want more wealth. You want more ease. You want more influence. You want less problems. You want less heartache. And so you say, if I come to Jesus, I should get more of these things and I should get less of these things. But what you don't realize is that's not what Jesus promised. He does offer comfort. He does offer wealth. He does offer blessing, but it's not necessarily in the form that you would expect and are looking for. In fact, What Jesus is offering is more than things that you can add to your life. What he is really offering is a whole new way of living. In fact, what he told his disciples is this, I'm offering you real life. That's what I'm offering you. You have been living a counterfeit version, and I'm inviting you to step in to the real thing. And when you expect one thing from Jesus, but he's offering something completely different, it can feel frustrating. It can feel confusing, right? There can be tension that builds up in our lives. And I want to talk about that very thing today. So as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you'll open up to Matthew chapter 1 or click over there on your device, that's where we're going to be starting today. We're actually launching this series called The Anointed One, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapters 8 through 11, and now some of you are going, well, wait, we're in one. You'll understand in a second why we're starting in chapter one, but we're going to be looking at chapters 8 through 11, uh, discussing, okay, how is Jesus revealing himself to be this anointed one, and what does that mean for us in our daily living? So uh, before we go any further, I do want to take a moment to pray across all of our locations, so let's bow our heads and pray. God, we want to hear from you we, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear you through the scriptures. Uh, you have spoken clearly through music and through prayer and through uh, just the hospitality of your family today. It has been a joy to watch people make connections and bless one another with words of encouragement and kindness, to see people praying for one another. And we're asking, would you continue to drill down into the depths of who we are, that we would come to a new place of trusting you like we never have before? We want to hear what you have to say to us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so I, I want to start with this question, and, and you'll understand why in a second. Um, what is a Messiah? I think that's a word that gets thrown around a lot in the church, and we don't really understand what that is. We're familiar with the term saying it, and that it usually goes with Jesus, but as far as what that means, we don't fully understand. And you have to know that Matthew's primary purpose in his gospel is that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of the living God. And if you miss that, then you've missed everything that Matthew wanted you to understand, everything that the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. In fact, Matthew starts off his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, this way. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's how he starts his gospel, is to make that point clear. Now, this word Messiah is actually a Hebrew word that literally means anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. In the Greek, it gets translated this way Christ. And so, Christ literally means Messiah. And Messiah literally means anointed one. And so for some of you, you might not realize this is that Christ is actually not Jesus' last name, right? Like, that's, I thought that right before I started coming to church. It's like, oh, Jesus, which one? Christ. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I actually played hockey with a guy. His name was Jesus, uh, for real. I was like, well, that's presumptuous. Uh, but, anyways, um, but so Christ is not his last name, it's a title. So it's better understood Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one. And what a Messiah is, understood from the Old Testament, is a Messiah is a person chosen by God to accomplish the work of God under the leadership and power of God. And so a Messiah is a person chosen by God to do the work of God under the leadership and power of God. There were multiple Messiahs in the Old Testament. And here's what I mean by that. Priests were anointed ones. Kings of Israel were anointed ones. Prophets were anointed ones. And so they were all anointed to do what God asked them to do under God's leadership. And so they all would have been thought of in these terms of Messiah. But all of these other messiahs, these priests, these prophets, these kings, were actually pointing to a greater one. To the one Messiah who would come. When you're reading through the Old Testament, you actually find that God is dropping these hints, leading to the fact that there's going to be one, the Messiah who shows up that changes everything that has been wrong with the world. You see, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, Um, You have Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. God says, hey, enjoy every fruit that's here except one. What do Adam and Eve do, right? Under kind of a a deceptive conversation with a serpent, uh, which is is Satan personified, um, they choose to disobey God. They choose to trust themselves instead of God. In that moment, sin enters into the world. Sin breaks the relationship with God. Death enters into the world. Chaos enters into the world. You get to one chapter later, the first murder happens between brothers, okay? And so this whole thing begins to unravel. Well, right after Adam and Eve disobey God in the Garden of Eden, God is sharing, hey, here's what the consequences are for that. And you look at verse 15, God shares what's going to happen to the serpent, and he says this, and I will put enmity meaning hostility, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. This is what he says. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so God says there's going to be a moment where one comes where it seems like you have won because you've bitten and you've injured him, but he's going to crush your head. And the whole thing's going to be over. And so Jews would look back at this moment and say, this is the first hint that God is giving of the Messiah. You fast forward to the same book, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. God gives the hint that this Messiah would be the ruler from the tribe of Judah. Okay, So this person is going to come out of the tribe of Judah, and he's going to be God's Messiah. You go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. God says things like this, that the future Messiah is going to come from the line of King David. He will establish an eternal kingdom, that God himself will be the father of that Messiah, and this Messiah will be God's son. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, you see a lot of descriptions about this Messiah, that he's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, he's going to be called things like Wonderful, Counselor, uh, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, right? All of these clear descriptions in there. Isaiah chapter 11, the whole chapter is just describing who this Messiah is going to be. It says things like this, that the Spirit of God will rest on him like none other, that he is going to usher in righteousness, and peace. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 says this, that in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. And so these passages, among many others, the Jews, the, the nation of Israel began to develop a theology around the Messiah. This is who he is. This is what he's going to accomplish. This is what it's going to look like. And what they said was this, that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of King David. And if he's a son of King David, King David was the greatest warrior that Israel had. So this Messiah is going to be a great, powerful, mighty warrior who brings peace and who brings liberty and he ushers in righteousness and he'll be led by the spirit of God Now, what's interesting is right uh, around 63 BC, the Roman Empire occupied Israel and took it over. Shortly after that, there was a writing known as the Psalm of Solomon, and there's a line in there that says this, talking about the Messiah. It says that the Messiah was a warrior prince who would expel the hated Romans and bring in a kingdom in which the Jews would be promoted to world dominion. This is how the nation of Israel thought about and understood the Messiah. That the Messiah was going to come in, crush the Roman Empire, and put the nation of Israel into a place of world domination. This is what the Jews were expecting. A warrior king who would overthrow the Roman Empire. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Imagine that you are a first century Jewish person. Living under Roman oppression, right? You, you don't have the ability to make your own decisions. Everything has to be approved through them. You've got a foreign governor who's leading your country, telling you what you're going to do. And you are praying and hoping that this warrior king, this Messiah, is going to show up and rescue you. Okay? That's what you're hoping for. That's what you're praying for. And out of where it seems like nowhere, this guy named Jesus shows up. And everybody is claiming that he's the Messiah, this son of a carpenter who's meek and mild. He has no political clout, and people are hailing him as the Messiah. Like, what, what would you think about that? What would be going through your mind, knowing that your hope is in this warrior? And this guy named Jesus shows up, right? Right? The reality is you're probably asking the question, is Jesus the Messiah? Is that even possible? And and if you're asking that question, you're not alone. Many people ask that question. If you remember when Jesus was born, there were some wise men who showed up to King Herod and said, hey, where's the king born? Where is he? And Herod says, what? Who is this? He's the Messiah. Tell me about him. And then he makes plans to kill him. Andrew, who becomes one of Jesus' disciples later, finds his brother Peter and goes, Hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. Come, uh, come and check this out. Jesus uh, gets into a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, and she goes back to her village and tells the people and says, uh, He told me everything I ever did in my whole life. Could this guy be the Messiah? And then Jesus shows up to that village, and he's teaching them, and he's talking to them, and they all go, Yes, this guy has got to be the Messiah. The Apostle John records one moment in chapter 7, where it says this. On hearing Jesus' words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of. Of Jesus, Nobody knew what to do with it. Nobody knew what to think. Why? What's the problem? Jesus isn't what the Jews had ordered. He's not what the nation of Israel ordered. And that's true, right? The nation of Israel was looking for a warrior king. And so it's not who they had ordered. But Jesus is exactly who God promised would show up. When you look through the scriptures, he's exactly who God promised. And the whole of the New Testament is answering the question, is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus the son of God? And by the way, the New Testament resoundingly says, yes, he is. Yes, he is. I want you to think about this. Every single author who wrote, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write New Testament scripture refers to Jesus as the Christ. Every single author refers to Jesus as the Christ in the New Testament. And so they're making the point, Jesus is the Messiah. And so some of you are going, well, how do we know? How could we know that? Well, we went through a few of the prophecies, just a couple of them, and you begin to see that Jesus fulfilled every single one of those Old Testament prophecies. You know what tribe Jesus hails from? The tribe of Judah. Do you know whose ancestor is in Jesus' Jesus lineage? David right? Abraham's there too, by the way, whole host of other people, but David, he's right there. He's declared as the son of God, right? By angels at his birth. He's born to a virgin, right? All of this, this is true. But it begs the question, you say, hey, wait a second, Messiah, isn't that the anointed one? When Was Jesus anointed? When was Jesus affirmed as God's chosen person to do God's work under God's leadership and his power? Well, there's actually lots of places where that takes place. Well, how about we start with the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. Literally, uh, an angel affirms Jesus as God's son. He says, listen, you're going to name him Jesus. He's uh, going to be referred to as Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you fast forward to Matthew chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, this is the moment where Jesus comes to John the baptizer to be baptized. Jesus goes down into the water. When Jesus comes up out of the water, what happens? Matthew records it this way. He says, the skies were ripped open... And when that happened, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, and then a voice from heaven declared, "'This is my Son, with him I am well pleased.'" If that's not an anointing, I don't know what is. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 17, verses one through five. Jesus goes on a little hiking trip with Peter and James and John. They get to the top of the mountain. All of a sudden, Jesus is like transfigured and he's like glowing and and there's no LEDs or anything like that. And it's amazing. And then when they open their eyes, they can see that Moses is there and Elijah is there. And like, how do we recognize these guys? There's no photos, Uh, but they're there and so they're all in this moment and again the right think about that Moses the bringer of the law Elijah the most powerful prophet are there with Jesus and if that wasn't enough the voice from heaven again says this is my son with him I am well pleased listen to him right that's anointing you see where Jesus is anointed along the way but there is one problem And I have to admit this. There's one problem with Jesus being the Messiah. See, there is a litmus test that proves you're not the Messiah. And if this happens, it's a guarantee you weren't God's Messiah. See, there were other people in the time of Jesus and before Jesus who claimed to be God's Messiah. And the one litmus test that proved they weren't is this. They died. If you die, you can't be the Messiah. Because you lost. You, you didn't win. You didn't beat Rome. You didn't beat Babylon. You didn't beat Assyria. You didn't beat, right? None of them. You, you lost. You're dead. Deuteronomy chapter 21, the first part of 23, says this that anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And so when you look at the death of Jesus, Jesus is crucified on a cross, which is a pole that has a cross beam. And Jesus died. That's a problem. That's a big problem. In fact, this is one of the reasons why after Jesus' death, before his resurrection, you see them all just leaving going, we were wrong. We thought he was it. We were wrong. This is what makes the resurrection of Jesus Christ so critical. This is the one thing that sets apart Jesus from every other person who claimed to be the Messiah is that Jesus' resurrection is the critical piece. Yes, Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead. And when God raised him from the dead, here's what God did. He affirmed that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover for all of our sins. He affirmed, you are my son. You do have the name that is above every name and that at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the church recognized that and they said, well, wait a second, wait a second. Look, look back into the Old Testament. You'll see places like Psalm 118 verse 22 that says this, that the stone the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. Isaiah 53 clearly shows that God's uh, servant is going to suffer and he's going to be crushed for our iniquities. And so they began to see actually death was a part of God's plan for the Messiah. And the resurrection becomes the most powerful anointing of Jesus as the Christ. In fact, it's so critical that if you have not come to the place where you recognize that the resurrection is real, you're actually not a Christian. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, if you have not come to the place, right, that Jesus literally rose from the dead bodily and spiritually, you're, you're not a believer. You might be spiritual. You might be religious. But you're not a Christ follower. The resurrection is central. And so you begin to see that Jesus' life and his ministry, Jesus is the epitome of God's chosen person doing God's work under God's leadership. In God's power. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, revealing truth for all of us for all time. Jesus is the ultimate priest, fulfilling all of God's righteousness of the law on our behalf. You see that Jesus is the ultimate king, that we were made to live under his good leadership for eternity. You have to see that Jesus is the Messiah, clearly. And so the question then boils down to this. What does that mean for me? What does that have to do with me? Well, I think for us, it means a couple of things. One of them is this, is you cannot put your hope in something of this world to rescue you. Listen, there is no political party who is going to right the wrongs of this world. In fact, they all bring their own issues with them, right? There is no amount of wealth that you can accumulate that will solve the challenges of your life. There is no level of health that you can achieve because guess what? Death is still chasing you down. In this life, there's no amount of control, there's no amount of power, there's no amount of manipulation that you can contain to get things just the way that you want them to make your life better or easier or without stress or without challenge. You can't look to anything else. Those are false messiahs. They will let you down. They cannot stand up underneath the weight of what you require. And so what that means is that each one of us has to come to the same place that God led the apostle Peter. See, I'm so grateful for Matthew. Matthew records a moment in chapter 16 where Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he asks them this question. He says, hey, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some people think you're this guy, that guy reincarnated, whatever. And then Jesus said this, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter piped up. And he said, You are, actually, let's read this out loud together, starting with, Who do you say I am? Let's just read both these verses. Are you ready? All of our locations together and go. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son. Yeah, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Now, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, don't you think he would have stopped Peter in that moment and go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. We're having a good time, right? We're taking fish sticks and breadcrumbs, and we're turning them into real meals, okay? I get that. You love the walking on the water, but listen, you've gone a little bit too far with that, right? Wouldn't he correct him? Look what happens in verse 17. Look how Jesus responds. Blessed are you, Simon, Peter, Jonah, because this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven. Jesus didn't correct Peter. He affirmed him because Jesus knew that he was the Messiah. He knew that he was God's chosen person to do God's work under God's leadership and God's power. And listen, every single one of us have to come to the place, this moment where the Holy spirit, in fact, opens your eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. You see for the first time that he is the son of God. He is the epitome of everything the scripture said. He's everything I need. He's everything that I have been looking for to fill the emptiness that I sense inside of me. The Holy Spirit actually has to open your eyes to that truth and to that reality. But the Holy Spirit cannot believe for you. You still have to decide to trust, to believe. But you, you still have to say yes. You still have to, day by day, decide with intentionality to trust Jesus as your Messiah. Do you know what Jesus offers you? Like, seriously, do you know what Jesus offers you as the Messiah? See, there is a fear that, that, that I have and our elders have together. And the fear is this that there uh, are many here today, many at our other locations, that you love this church And, and you love what you hear on Sunday mornings and you love what you experience in our church family. And because of that, you've actually tricked yourself into thinking that you're a disciple because you're here because you like what you're experiencing, because you enjoy what's being taught and what's being shared. But the reality is you might honor him with your lips by singing songs, but your heart is very far from him. And that is a deep concern that the elders and I share together for the people of our church family. I have a friend who she shared her story with me of how for years, decades, she went to church, she did all the right things, she read the Bible, she served in church. Her church actually praised her up and down for all the things that she was doing. And if you talk to her, she would openly admit to you that just over the last couple of years, God has opened her eyes to what genuine faith is. And it's become real for her. And she's reading the scripture in fresh ways. She is pursuing the Lord like never before. This is no longer a religion. This is no longer a thing to be a better person. This has absolutely transformed her life. And she's working through all of that. And what does it mean to rely on God? And what does it mean to trust him? And I had this whole life of doing all of the right things. And it actually doesn't count for anything as far as standing before the Lord and being declared righteous. I have to trust Jesus for absolutely everything. And here's what I want to tell you. Her story is not uncommon. She's not some, you know, small, tiny 1% of people who go to church. She's actually the large percentage of people who come to church. And praise God that she came to the realization where the Holy Spirit opened her eyes and she said, yes, yes. Because what Jesus offers you, Is not a better version of you. One who's a little less crummy and a little bit nicer in the mornings. This is not what Jesus is offering. What Jesus is offering you is rescue and reconciliation. Jesus offers to rescue you from sin. And when you're in sin, you're in prison with a death sentence. That's what it is. You're in prison with a death sentence, and you can't plan your own escape. And you should not get comfortable figuring out how to live life normal behind bars. You're not made for that. You know what you are? You're the damsel in distress in a burning building who needs a hero. Because you can't get out on your own. Jesus is the hero who rescues you from sin and death. And when he rescues you, he brings you into reconciliation with God. Your creator. He brings you into friendship with your creator. The author of life. The one who knows you better than you know yourself. The one who actually knows what you need, not just what you want. The one who can sustain you. The one who has a plan for your life. The one who can actually grant to you eternal life. Not just surviving here, but actually thriving in this world and the one to come. Jesus reconciles you with him. And when you're rescued and reconciled through Christ, there's this amazing thing that happens. You are now chosen by God to do God's work under God's leadership. And God's power of God, or God's power, you are now filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually descends upon you and fills you. You know who you end up becoming? An anointed one. You're anointed to tell others of what God has done in you. And so you've got to come to the place where you ask Jesus to rescue you. And you ask him to reconcile you into a relationship with God. And it's this work that's started by the Holy Spirit. But there's a part you play, right? You don't idly sit by and watch things happen as a victim or a spectator. You are choosing to walk in fellowship and alignment and reliance on God. But you can't do it on your own. Now, transparently, when I, when I was born again, um, Part of the reason that I made that decision was, as a young man, I could see the trajectory of my life. I could see that um, where I was going, and I didn't want to go that route anymore. I knew I needed something better. I needed something different. And so that was the, the pinprick that opened it up. But the more I started hearing about who Jesus was, the more I started investigating the scripture myself, what God did is he opened my eyes to the reality that I didn't need a better life. I actually needed a new one. I needed an entirely new life. And that's what he was offering. See, it wasn't that I needed to stop doing less bad things uh, and that I needed to do more bad things or need to do more good and respectable things. You know, that's a part of it, but that's not the baseline of it. What it was is I really needed a new heart. I needed a new way of thinking. I needed a new life. Because the one where I was in charge is no good. It's no good me living under my own devices, under my own thinking, under my own leadership. And I have to say that the only way forward for me for the last 25 years since saying yes to Jesus has been constantly admitting that Jesus' thoughts are better than my own thoughts. That Jesus' ways are better than my ways. That Jesus' truth is better than any other truth that I could come up with on my own that Jesus' life is better than any that I could build for myself. And, and you would think after two and a half decades of walking with Jesus, you like you would need faith less. But I actually think the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I need faith. Because I'm going to share something with you. Some of you are going to go, what? I don't know. This doesn't make sense. See, walking with Jesus, it doesn't necessarily get easier. I need to say that Again, Because some of you guys are like, you just muted that. Walking with Jesus, it doesn't necessarily get easier. What it does is it gets deeper. It gets deeper. And what is happening is like the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to me just how deep the strain and the stain of sin goes into my heart and my soul. And behavior modification ain't going to cut it. There's this work deep within me that the Holy Spirit is asking me to go there with him that he can transform me from the inside out. It doesn't get easier. Actually, you start seeing some of the the realities, who you really are. And I realize that I need the grace of the Messiah as much today as I did on Thursday, July 17, 1997. I need it today as much. But see, that's the gospel. The gospel is this is that you are more wretched and sinful than you could ever imagine yourself to be. And at the exact same time, you are more loved than you could ever dare dream. That's the gospel. And this is what Jesus is inviting you into. And so I just want to throw out a couple of thoughts for you, just very quickly, and then I'm going to close. Because some of you in here today, you are born again believers. You have met Jesus, He's opened your eyes, you have said yes, and you need to be reminded that you are anointed to tell others about what Jesus Christ has done in you. And where we're at is you've got to, you need to ask God for the desire and the courage to go do that. I know you get nervous, I know you get afraid, I know you get scared, but let me tell you what I was watching an interview of a guy. He got rescued out of a burning building, and like a firefighter got him out of there. He told his story to everybody, right? Like on camera, he's hugging the firefighters like, this guy, this guy right here saved me. You gotta, he didn't care. He didn't care about being uncomfortable. He didn't care if anybody heard that story already. He wanted everybody to know who rescued him, how it happened, and that he's alive today because he was rescued. Guys, if you've been rescued, what an opportunity to tell others that they can find rescue too. I want to talk to another group in here that I would classify as religious. You're part of the church. You've been a part of the church. You like this church. You like what's going on, all those types of things. But it's time for you to cross the line. It's time for you to cross the line. This is no more about what I do and what I contribute and what I bring to God and how I come off looking. This is actually about saying and letting the Holy Spirit open my eyes to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah and he's my Messiah. He's the forgiver and he's my forgiver. He's the righteousness of God and he's my righteousness of God. And it's simply by faith, and I can't pay God back. And to those who are seeking God today, I would say this to you I'm really glad you're here. And I would encourage you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. And when he does, I pray you make the decision to say yes, that you put your faith in him more than anything else because you need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to ask this one question, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I just want you to listen to him for a moment. Thanks for joining us.